2: Our happy stoppage time tune is definitely needed on a day like this. <laughs> News uh from Atlanta United, Gabriel Heinze has been relieved of his duties. Atlanta United is in the shop window for not just players as Carlos Bocanegra just said in media availability, but also a new manager. And uh Mike, I we we talked about this yesterday, of course, when you have a a very public dispute with the face of the franchise on the field and a manager, this starts to creep into your mind as to what happens next. But I don't know if we had really come to a conclusion, a consensus by the end of the night as to what was going to happen next.
3: I honestly thought at the end of the match that he was going to be sacked, and then when he came out and said that Joseph would train tomorrow, I thought maybe he wouldn't be sacked. Um, I got the impression talking to a number of people before the match yesterday that Heinze was on very thin ice and that it did not necessarily have to do with the Joseph situation. And I think that's really, really important. And that's something that Darren Eels stressed pretty emphatically in the Mm -hmm. press conference that just concluded. And if you missed it, and I don't know if live coverage was available anywhere I tried my best to live tweet as much as possible. Check out my feed at my conti929. You can get the general gist of it there. But Eels was was pretty clear that uh, this decision had nothing to do not only with Joseph, and nothing to do with um, you know, the the play on the pitch. And that's something I specifically asked Darren in this press conference. They said, Darren. Fifty one weeks ago, we were having this conversation about Frank. He said you weren't happy about the direction of travel, you know, and I asked him, at what point did you feel like the direction of tra- travel with Heinze was irreversible? He said with Frank, it was an on the pitch issue. Right. With Heinze, there were other things in play. And Darren twice said, and, and I don't know if people really picked up on this or not that there are numerous stakeholders with this club, especially its players, its fans, and the media. And he said that, and, and the exact phrase he used was, it is non-negotiable with the next manager that he or she has to be accessible to fans, accessible to the media, because they have a role in trying to grow this club. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very, very telling comment, because Eels, I think, was pretty emphatic. This this is not a Joseph thing. Right. This is not necessarily a quality of play thing. Obviously, they aren't getting the results they want, but, but Darren stressed that they were very pleased with how they played in the last two matches, and he should be. They played well in Nashville. I think they played okay yesterday. They didn't win. They were playing the number one team in the East, but... It really strikes me based on the things I have heard and the things confirmed today by Darren and Carlos that there were much bigger issues in play with Gabriel Heinze than just being two, four and seven and having a spat with your star player.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I thought they were very clear in saying that that was not the driving element here. It it wasn't. Um also, and I think you, you can kind of connect the dots that if the results are far better, then maybe that scale is a little different. have oh, yeah, more leeway, and, more leverage.
1: Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> you know? it, it,
2: that's just the facts. That, that That's how the, the game goes. But those last two performances were really interesting because go back to Chris Armas in Toronto. His last game, it looked like the team quit on him. It felt like the team quit on him. They gave up seven goals. I did not get that sense at all in these last two games. Chicago game, I don't think they quit on him, but it was a flat performance. Alarm bells. Last two games, I did not get that sense. That's why I wasn't sure about what would happen next. But with everything going on behind the scenes, not even related to the public issue that that became public with Joseph, it's a little hard to tell. And, And I do think the accessibility thing is key. And... It's been a challenging year to be accessible because of protocols and COVID and all of that. But, you know, we've talked about it a lot and we knew that coming in with Gabriel Heinze, it's not something he enjoys. He, he does not enjoy the media side of that job. And in some countries, it's not as important of a factor in the job. I think here it is a more important factor in the job than it is in Argentina, where Gabriel Heinze's experience was. And that's something that I'll go to what Carlos said that I thought was very important here. You know, you can do the due diligence. You can do the studying. You can interview people. Like he said, you know, they did interviews and and they got good reviews on him and interacting with players, players coach, you know, works hard, but guys want to play for him. And I think a lot of times we saw that here. But culturally, it's hard to know if somebody's going to be a fit until they are or aren't a fit. You know you can read and you can interview and you can talk, but until you're working with someone day to day, you don't really know. And, and that's the hardest thing about building a team and in this case, a team off the field. Do all the pieces fit? Does the chemistry fit? And you know I know you've been in the situation, Mike. I've been in a situation where you're you're looking to hire people. you're thinking about, skills you're thinking about experience you're thinking about qualifications i found over my time in those kinds of roles that i had to put more emphasis on fit and culture and and fitting into that and chemistry with the people that were there and that became maybe not exactly the same level as everything else but a big big factor in hires working out yeah
3: absolutely And I think, you know, anyone who's been a hiring manager can attest to the fact that you can go through an interview process. I mean, heck, in December, you and I and a lot of other observers of this club and supporters, we were swooning when we were hearing these stories of Heinze doing this detailed technical analysis of Atlanta United Mm -hmm. and submitting an analysis and being very cerebral and analytical about whether or not this was the right opportunity for Heinze. We were really, really impressed by that. Wow. I mean, that this is great. What a, what a what a great situation this is now for Atlanta United. The hiring process seems to have gone uh, exactly as you would want. And you don't often realize until someone is in the building, uh-oh, this guy isn't a fit for our culture. Right. And flat out that's that's why we are where we are today with Gabriel Heinze because he was not a fit for atlanta united's culture and i see some comments here about do you think the players are happy about this yes i do i do uh doug robertson's tweet about the grievances filed to the players association about uh the training schedule eels wouldn't confirm that but he wouldn't deny it either i will also point out that something that happened when tata martino was the head coach here. yes that, that that's not a heinze thing that's happened before um But I think you can connect the dots without an actual confirmation uh, that Heinze probably did not read the room very well Mm -hmm. with the group of players that he had here. And on top of that, he was not a fit for the club culture. And in Major League Soccer, this is not Argentina. This is not the first division in Argentina. It's just different in Major League Soccer, the role that a manager has in helping to grow and sustain a club that um, has to be responsive to its fans. You know, it, it's it's different in other parts of the world than it is here. Heinze apparently did not understand that. And that's and and by the way, that kind of spreads into other areas that affect on field and off field issues. Heinze was not a cultural fit for Atlanta United. They probably weren't going to know that until he got in the front door. Mm -hmm. Did they make a mistake in hiring Heinze? Well, obviously they did if if we're here on July 18th and they're sacking him. They made a mistake. Um, Sometimes you don't realize that you've made that mistake until the hiring process is complete and they start at work. Now, here's what I do know. Really quick. We're going to get to your questions and comments, and there's plenty more to analyze from this press conference, but I want to make one thing really clear. Eels did say they're going to move quickly in trying to find a permanent manager. He pointed to the fact that they have two-thirds of the season remaining. They're looking to make a big move here in the, the window before it closes, so they feel like there's a lot to play for. And because there's so much of the season remaining, they want to try to get a permanent head coach in here right away, which I get. But in the short term, I want to stress to you that Rob Valentino is going to correct a lot of the cultural issues and the disconnect between the coaching staff and the players. Yes. Rob Valentino is an extremely well-liked former assistant coach under Frank DeBoer. He was with the twos in 2018. He worked with Tata Martino. He worked with Frank DeBoer. The club kept him, even after Heinze uh, elected not to have Valentino on his technical staff. Rob Valentino is going to get a lot of this cultural stuff fixed right away. And I would expect, that you are going to see that bounce on Wednesday and potentially in the next couple matches where Valentino is in charge because he is going to command the respect of the players. And I think he's going to have a much better feel for the dressing room. And he's going to have a much better feel for every single room in the training ground in Marietta that Heinze lacked. Yeah. So I, I want to be really clear on that. I don't think, I don't know how long Valentino is going to go in this role, But he is going to get some of the big fundamental cultural issues fixed immediately because the players will respond to him. I am certain of that. I am absolutely certain of that. I know some people have challenged me saying that that's just PR spin for the club. Absolutely not. I'm reporting to you what I know about Rob Valentino. And if you don't believe me, look at the former players and current club staffers on Twitter. Go look at their likes and go look at how they're responding to the news of Rob Valentino being the interim head coach of this team. So you don't have to believe me if you think that I'm I'm spinning things a certain way. Look at the people who work with this team. And that'll be your answer. And I think you'll probably agree with me, Jason. I'm not positive, but I think you will.
2: Yeah, yeah. no, they 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 kept Rob around for a reason. And, you know, that they kind of created a role for Rob specifically because they wanted to keep him around not because of something like this happening but because he was a valuable part of the club and, and they found ways to keep him engaged and keep him busy and he'll be very important in establishing I think a new working order with the on the field side and the training sessions I think changes about the way the team wants to approach playing which isn't going to be easy in midstream and there, there's ways to And I know the man-to-man marking is something a lot of people zero in on. There's ways to be more conservative in that and not lose the overall identity because, as the club said, as Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra both said, the play on the field was not the driving factor here. It wasn't a factor here. It was not an issue. The results, not good. The play, and this is where you talk about fit, I think that's the part of it where Heinze was a fit in the way he wanted to play and the way we saw them play Maybe not consistently enough, but where it could be going when you start to look big picture on philosophy and tactics. Didn't get there consistently enough, and he didn't score goals, and we know that. I think what Rob Valentino is going to have to try to do in the very short term, and for him it might be a very short term, depending on how quickly they can make a move, is how can you modify what has been worked on for a a good amount of time now? It's not going to be easy just to flip the switch and play differently, but how can you take this and modify it and affect the results positively because that's the ultimate goal for for Rob Valentino. And it's a tricky one for him because yeah. he does come in in a short time. He does have things to fix culturally and, and relationships to fix. But he also has to get results because the team is right there in terms of, of the playoff race. They're four points out of a playoff spot right now. There's a lot of games to go. Can't just punt games because you're fixing things. And, and that's the tricky balance that Rob Valentino will face. And look, he's played as a professional. He's been in these situations before. I'm sure as anybody in the situation walking into that room, anybody who's been there before has watched what has been going on. In the back of their mind, they have ideas about what buttons to push to tweak it. I'm sure tomorrow when Rob Valentino takes training, he will have a clear idea of what he wants to do going forward with the group. Right. Now, a lot of people in the comments are are
3: asking us to maybe be a little bit more clear when we're talking about this cultural issue. And and I don't want to I want to make sure that I'm not confusing anyone Mm -hmm. because football culture and corporate culture are two very different things. Yes. I'm not necessarily saying that Heinze was the incorrect fit in terms of football culture. No, I don't think I don't think he was the incorrect fit at all. He might have been a really good fit. I think think he he was a good fit. fit. Absolutely. Uh, But. Let's think about the workplace for a moment. One more more
2: thing on on football culture that I want to clarify. When we're talking football culture and philosophy, we're not talking results. And we're not talking goals or not giving up goals or things like that down to stats. We're talking big, big picture. How do you want the team to play? How do you want them to look and feel in that regard? And... I think it was pretty much universal acclaim when the hire happened. And I still feel this way in that regard. Yes. I think he was a, a very good fit, but the workplace culture, different conversation where it's, you know, being available to the media, being accessible to the media, being accessible to the people in the building, being accessible to fans through the media or through the club. Like there's, there's lots of different elements of that, that in his history as a manager, We're not done, we're not needed to be done, or we're not prioritized by Argentinos Juniors or Vela Sarsfield. It's a very different culture for what the manager does outside of the coaching in Argentina specifically, and that's where Heintze's experience is. He was going to be asked to do a lot of different things here, and it seems like that was something that did not work out at all. Right. Yes.
3: Uh, Thank you. For clarifying that. I think I hope what that I, I, I think what Jason and I are trying to get across, and again, look at what Darren was talking about in this press conference today. And and look, hindsight didn't get sacked because he didn't make himself available to the media. That that's no. that's not it. No. But being accessible to the media and by the way, being respectful to the media is part it's unfortunately a pretty big part of the job for a manager in MLS. Might not be for a Premier League manager. Might not be for a manager in France or Germany or Belgium or Brazil or Argentina.
2: It varies country to country.
3: Yeah. But in MLS, it's very important. Yes. MLS is still a growing league that's only in its 26th year of existence. Atlanta United, as Darren pointed out, has a very large and passionate fan base. And it's very, very important for the manager to have a role in helping the club remain engaged with that fan base because the fan base is a major stakeholder in the club. A lot of you who are watching us right now have been very expressive on social media about the lack of transparency that you might be getting from the club right now. Well, you know, the the manager has a big role in allowing the club staff to be transparent with their fans. Uh, Furthermore, the the manager has to interact with a lot of non-soccer people in the business. You know, Atlanta United is an athletic team that's going out and trying to win matches, but they are a business. And you've got to be understanding that it's a, a business that's still a relatively young business. And is still trying to grow. They want to be one of the biggest clubs in the world. Darren talked about it today. You have to have a manager who's going to cooperate. And try to help you grow the club. And I know a lot of people aren't going to want to hear this. But Frank DeBorn got that. Yeah. Tata Tino got that. Uh, Tata, I think, also understood that he didn't want to give opponents competitive advantages. By being too transparent. But think about. You know, what you have been able to learn about the team in the last four years compared to the relative lack of what we know about them this year. And just ask yourself, does the manager maybe have a little bit to do with that? Um, so it, it's a lot of different things. You inter- In a club as big as Atlanta United, you're going to interact with a lot of different non-soccer people on a daily basis. And that's what we're talking about when we get into culture, not to mention the most important point of all, your players are major stakeholders. And the reports are out there about Joseph Martinez. And I'll reiterate again for people just coming in. Darren Eels made it very clear that the Joseph Martinez situation not only had nothing to do with this, but was resolved yesterday. So Heinze was fired today after or I'm sorry, uh, parted ways with today. Relieved of his duties. Relieved, Thank you. Relieved of his duties (laughs) after practice today. Joseph practiced today. He's going to be available on Wednesday, Darren said. Uh, Darren said this was all resolved last night. So this happened between the resolution and, uh, you know, two, three o'clock today, whenever this went down. This this is not Joseph. But look, the report is out there and it was not denied today that players are upset about the way that they're being trained. To the point where they filed a grievance with the players union.
2: Not the first time that's happened. There were a little you... more specifics on that too. That I think are a little important. Uh, Doug initially had. Doug Robertson from the AJC. Initially had the. Uh, break uh, on, on Twitter. About the grievance being filed. Uh, Felipe Cardenas followed up. And said that the grievance was filed. After Atlanta United crossed the threshold. Of training hours. Ahead of the season opener. And. Um, Preseason, you had you know limited amount of time. There was obviously some kind of number on it and how many hours you could work with the group. Um, and, he, and Felipe went on to say Heintz he then ran the team through two-a-days during the last international break. Now, I don't know if that is against whatever policy is available or not.
3: Even if it's not against policy, let's talk about reading the room. Right.
2: Okay. No, th- th- there's two that, that- different levels to it. Like a grievance of breaking you know, a policy is one thing. Reading the room, definitely another thing.
3: I, I mean, like, that that's just, I don't know. Feels. I was going to use a stronger word, but it, it feels very excessive. To At be that running point in the team,
2: season, yes. A,
3: a, an injury-depleted team that's one-third of the way into the season and on fumes, and by the way, going into match compression, uh, it, it would seem very, very excessive to put your team through uh, two days. I've seen rumors about that. I haven't seen confirmation about that. So Felipe's reporting that, that's is that's report is from
2: Felipe Cardenas. Yeah, and uh, yeah. That,
3: that, that's that. Uh, and I, I have to applaud Felipe and Doug. They're doing excellent yeah, reporting on this. um That's very enlightening, guys. I mean, when we talk about not getting the culture, that's a big part of it. Uh, if you're running an exhausted, depleted, injured, shorthanded team for two a days, um, you're going to lose your dressing room. And that's a big difference. Yeah, I just want, want to expand on that really quickly. I, by the way, I don't support players revolting on a manager anytime they get something they don't want. No. OK, Like no. I, I'm not in support of that either, no. but you've got to read the room. You've got to read the room. You've got, and and that's the thing he, he, that tells me he didn't have a feel for what his team was experiencing physically and maybe mentally. That's a cultural detachment. So when we talk about culture, and I didn't mean to
2: interrupt you, Jason, but no, when no. we talk about culture, these are the things we're talking about. Yeah, I was interrupting you actually. It's my bad. <laughs> what I wanted to, <laughs> what I wanted to separate because I, I had seen a lot of the commentary and I disagreed with it about comments about trainings are hard, trainings are intense, that's the problem. Training should be intense. Training should be hard. And, and, you know, a lot of comparisons have been made with Gabriel Heinze to Marcelo Bielsa and Leeds, and that's been a talking point at Leeds. It was a talking point at Athletic Bilbao. It's been a talking point at Stops over his career. This is a difference. This is a different conversation. Intense training sessions, yes, people will sometimes get injured. Running two-a-days through the international break, which is not quite at mid-season, but you but know, after the first third or so of the season, that is excessive. Running intense sessions is not, unless you're running them for three hours long and that kind of stuff. That's a different conversation. I haven't seen any reporting on that. If you're running an hour and a half session, yeah, it's going to be intense. Top clubs are going to run intense sessions. When the reporting changes, and, and like you said, credit to Felipe Cardenas here, you're running two days during international break, when you're in season, not in a preseason situation or not even in like they have in Argentina where they have like a summer break at times where it's like a gap in between the season of about six weeks or so. No, it's, it's in the middle. Like it's actually early in the season. That's excessive. And that can cause problems. But just running intense sessions as a general rule, that well, part, not a problem.
3: Let me give you another example. Do you remember, I, I'm asking our viewers, I know you remember this, do you remember back in, I think it was November 2019, when the U.S. Men's National Team was playing a Nations League match up in Toronto, Miles Robinson was on the bench, did not play, was at the end of the, the cycle. For, was in uh, D.C. I, yeah. Or, yeah, okay, I thought it was in Toronto. It was in a cold-weather city. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, miles did not play he was about to be returned to the club. And Greg Berhalter ordered all of, uh, his outfield subs who did not play to run wind sprints after the match. They were on their way back to their club as part of some conditioning for some reason. Miles ends up hurting himself and misses the, the MLS cup playoffs and Atlanta United falls one step short of the final, which w- they would have hosted. Remember how out of our mind we were that night and that weekend at Greg Berhalter about just needlessly, for for no apparent reason, putting a player through conditioning when there was just absolutely no explanation or need for doing it. Those are the types of things we're talking about when you put a team through two-a-days in June. Right. <laughs> you know, when they're about to play five matches in that That's so, an right?
2: incredibly different conversation than running intense practices and Absolutely. and i that has to be separated because this is new information and it, and it changes that conversation over training is something like that Overtraining is not running sessions that are intense that that has yeah. to be thrown to the side because that was becoming a large narrative and that's just Pep Guardiola would be accused of overtraining. Marcelo Bielsa would be accused of overtraining. Really, any top manager would be accused of overtraining. If that's how it's defined, it's just that's not it. Running two a days in the midst of a season, yes, that that's an issue. Yeah.
3: All right. I mean, obviously, we have hundreds of viewers right just now. Grab We're them more and questions, and, and we really do appreciate all of you watching. I know the U.S. men's national team's going to get started in a little bit. If you want to put us side by side, that's okay. We'll <laughs> go a few more minutes. I mean, we obviously have a large audience here, and I, I want to hold on to you guys. Yeah, as much we as can pop. take questions. I
2: mean, that's that's fine.
3: Yes, yeah. yeah. if you have questions, uh, we will try to, to get into them. In fact, just I'm going to look at the the two most recent questions that just came in. Um, well, four. Okay, I'm going to start here, uh, Frankie. So Miles Robinson pulls a hamstring during practice, and you blame the coach. Yes, in that case, I am blaming the coach because he didn't need to be running wins. In that
2: case, it's- because it's a very specific backstory, story. And, and Frank DeBoer was very clear about it. It was an international break when players were called up for two games, and that was the first of the two. Um, I think they went to Toronto after that, if I remember the schedule correctly. So after game one.
1: Okay, picture this. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
2: He didn't play. And instead of doing like cool down stuff, which you'll see guys do on road trips, stuff like that. um, It was described as a training session, as an intense session. And that's where he got injured. The problem that the club had with Greg Berhalter in that situation was they specifically asked, that Miles not be put through any extra work because of the workload he had had that season. That was the issue. That's why that was a problem. And Frank DeBoer expressed his displeasure, I thought, very clearly and and made a strong case.
3: Bradley wants to know, did the compliance staff and medical staff not know about the two days? Well, obviously, the medical staff had to know about it because they're out there with them. Uh, What makes you think that the medical staff or the compliance staff had the ability to overrule
2: that decision? Right. They they, they wouldn't. And the complaining, though, about that and the conversations about that would then lead to things like what happened today. That's the way that will go. But no, the the medical staff or compliance staff or however all that's broken out is not going to be able to run training sessions. That's that's not how the hierarchy would work.
3: Craig wants to know if the timing of season ticket member renewal emails coming out had anything to do with this firing. I, I don't think so. And yeah, nobody asked I, that I, one. Yeah, I, I don't think so. But I don't want to overlook the point either that Darren did mention several times that he considers the fans to be a very, very crucial stakeholder in this club. So, yeah. no, I, I don't think it had anything to do with season ticket renewals or anything like that. Just the timing. I mean, it, the timing is the timing. Uh, But I do think that Darren is very keenly aware of honoring the importance that the fans have and the way that the club conducts its business. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I I don't think it directly related to it in terms of, okay, that email went out. So now we have to make a move. I, I think the fans voice was heard in the situation as part of. That stakeholder process to make decisions like this, and I think a lot of it, like you'd said, and, and like Darren and Carlos both said specifically, that accessibility issue was a problem, and it was something that was difficult. And you know, every manager has their own way of working, and, and I I respect that because I've I've been on the club side at lower levels, whether second division or. Um, in the semi-pro side of things. And I get that. You have to give the manager their leeway to work the way they want to work. But you do have some requirements in, in this league, specifically, related to that accessibility. And you have, maybe not requirements, but then best practices. And it can be tough. I mean, it can be tough for us as broadcasters in ter- terms of having information. It, it can be tough... For the media, and it can be tough for the fans because you're not getting to know everything as well. And you're not going to know everything, but you're not getting even as much as, as you did under Frank DeBoer or under Tata Martino. And that's something Atlanta United has always wanted to have is that strong relationship and, and a personal relationship. It didn't feel that way this time around.
3: Yeah, James says, surely this goes deeper than the Joseph drama, right? And I, I think we've outlined yes, yes, absolutely. And I think over the last half hour, we've explained how. Um, so uh, perhaps you're joining us a little bit late. Uh, Now, here's the thing, and a lot of people are talking about this, so let's try to have a a respectful and um, analytical discussion about this. Spencer wants us to know uh, if we will address the front office's responsibility for recent failures. I'll I'll start by saying that, um, I mean, clearly they have made an error uh, in hiring Abe because if they're letting him if they're letting him go in July, they obviously picked the wrong guy. Um, I still do not believe they picked the wrong guy when they hired Frank DeBoer. And I'll be very, very, very firm on that. Um, things broke down very quickly and rapidly last July and they were presented with, um, what seemed to be an untenable situation. They let him go. Uh, a lot of very smart people around the world think very highly of Frank DeBoer's ability to manage teams such as the Dutch national football federation, which 10 years ago was in a world cup final and turned around and hired Frank to be their national team coach after Atlanta United parted ways with him. So I I don't think Frank and and Gabby are in the same boat here. Have there been, um, have there been some player signings that the front office wishes they had back? Probably. Have the front office also made some really good player signings? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're watching FS1, Miles Robinson, uh, who was drafted by this uh, technical director, at least, uh, is about to make his third straight national team start. George Bello is on the bench for his national team. Ezekiel Barco playing for his national team in Tokyo. Santi Sosa, I think, by unanimous accounts one of the best-holding midfielders in this league right now. This was an off-season signing. This is recent. Mm-hmm. Brooks Lennon has been a revelation for this club. So this club has really, really, really a lot of good players. Um, they've had to part ways with some players for one reason or another. Um, but, look, I'll I'll be the first one to say that this is a very high-pressure situation now for Darren and Carlos. They, they have to absolutely get the next hire correct. Uh, because they got this one wrong, and I, I think they kind of own that today Take that it. they got this one wrong. And and Darren said, and I quote, um, quote my quotes here. Um, sorry, I want to make make sure I have this right. Um, of course, I can't find this when I need it. <laughs> <laughs> we quote, we have to get the next hire right. We know that's important. Yeah. So there.
2: Yeah, I mean that's 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 real and they were i think very clear in owning that um i do think there are some narratives out there in terms of scapegoating that are incorrect and not fair um one is that every good move the team made in 2017 and 18 was Tata martino and every bad move was darren and carlos that's just not not true it's just not um I don't think Tata Martino prioritized Michael Parkhurst or Jeff Lorenowitz's signings. I don't think he really paid a lot of attention to NCAA soccer in, in 2016 ahead of that draft to get Miles Robinson um, or Julian Gressel, for that matter. He probably had, you know, very limited information there. There's a lot of things about that that are just not fair. There's also been good signings since. There's been moves that have worked out for the good. Brooks Lennon, great addition. Uh, very cap-friendly addition as well, and the cap affects a lot of the moves that get made. Great addition even this week with Amar Sadich to add him in midstream. Uh, really good performance yesterday from Amar Sadich. The homegrowns being developed and that process, that has worked very, very well with now George Bello in the U.S. national team with more coming through. There are a lot of good things that have been done by this front office. You are 100% correct. There's a lot of pressure on this next hire. Because this last one did not work. I do agree with Darren in terms of the pushback on the scapegoating narrative about everything since 2018 has been a disaster. 2019 was in no way a disaster. 2019, you are in the Eastern Conference semifinal. They were the third best team during the regular season. They scored a lot of goals. They won two trophies. They were a very good team that was very close. I think Frank DeBoer failed to build relationships that worked. And when things got hard, one big reason they got hard is his leading scorer was injured and lost for the season. But because of that lack of of relationships, that lack of chemistry, things fell apart. And that move had to be made because of the direction on the field. This was a hire in terms of Gabriel Heinze that I did not see anyone criticize when it was made. I saw people raving about it worldwide. And it didn't work. This is not the first club for that to happen to. It will not be the last. And a lot of those clubs that have that happen to them are outside of Brazil, too, where they like to fire guys really quick. Um, It happens. And you're not going to get every move right. No front office will. But you have to get the big ones more right than wrong. And now this is a very big one coming up. This is a very big one. There will be a lot of pressure on it on two fronts because you have to get the hire right. And ideally, you have to get the hire quick.
3: All right. Now, on that note, Christopher Gersel asks a great question. It just came in. Thank you, Christopher. Should Atlanta United aim for an MLS-experienced coach for its next hire, pointing to the fact that Domi Toronto is available? and That was something that was asked in the press conference, by the way. Uh, and uh, Darren Eel said, quote, we're going to cast the net wide and not narrow out any options. Now, your options, if you're looking with an MLS, become a little more limited because you're in the middle of a season, but Christopher's right. Don't be Toronto's out there. Yeah, Chris Armas' is going to be thrown out there. No,
2: it's not. Uh, no, it's not.
3: Matt Doyle threw it out. It's been thrown out.
2: <laughs> I think that was a joke. I hope. No, nah. so. it, it like. I,
3: don't, I mean, some people have said Armas in the comments, but but no, I, I mean, I, I think let's address the broader point because some yeah. people have brought this up now that that maybe it would be smart for Atlanta United to to look at some. Some managers who have MLS experience as opposed to uh, maybe looking for a different profile of manager who uh, who does not have MLS experience.
2: Well, it's a different hire. And the big reason why it's a different hire is it is in season and you're not going to wait till the end of the year. Last year, the idea was to wait until the end of the year and have the new manager come in and start fresh. So you're looking broader at that point. Now it's tougher for somebody who has no background with MLS to walk in the door and get it and understand it. Now, Dome Tarant is a really interesting name because he kind of checks both sides of the equation off because he has MLS experience, not a ton, but he does, and he did well, and I enjoyed watching his teams play. And from a philosophical standpoint, this was a, a point that, that I made a lot, while Heinze was was definitely influenced by Marcelo Biel, so there's no way around that, I think he really strived to be more like a Pep Guardiola. Well, Dolmé Turan sat next to Pep Guardiola in a lot of different places worldwide and won a lot of trophies with him. So if you're looking for somebody who can walk in the door, take a team that has been trained in one way and say, okay, we're going to tweak this, we're going to tweak this, let's go, That's that can be done with somebody like Domé Turan. He understands the league. He is available. But he's got that global experience that I do think this club looks for. He's a great fit. He is a better fit than somebody like a list of, of past MLS Cup and Supporter Shield winners that are available, like Mike Petkey, like Dominic Kinnear, like Jason Christ, like Chris Armas. Football-wise, none of them really fit jason christ would be the the closest one to fit in that regard but i don't think those would go for that well in 2016 (laughs) the club didn't go for that Uh, and and i think that's the important thing about it is jason christ was the guy out there in 2016 and jason christ would have been a very good hire in 2016 at that time now not so much because of some damaged goods on on his managerial pathway but uh those four don't fit it from a football perspective, from a soccer perspective. Toronto does. He would be a fascinating one. There's also, I mean, if you want to go into the conversation about people who are out there, there are a few. Um, there are a few somewhat big names who are available, but you have to talk about the MLS experience thing. There is a player who, there are two players who played in MLS, who are available, who have managed very big teams in the last year. Andrea Pirlo and Frank Lampard. They both played in New York. They are both out of work. And they're both young. And, and that's one thing when you look at maybe this locker room. And we had this conversation last night when we started to talk hypothetically about what could happen and what direction you go. I, I think you're, you're looking at one of two things. And Toronto fits it on the other side in terms of a veteran. As the U.S. scores in 20 seconds against Canada. Yeah, I'm, I'm,
3: I'm turning it on right now. Is <laughs> it on Fox great. or FS1? Help me out. Big
2: Fox. Big Fox. Twenty over seconds in, Fox. they just scored. Wow. Okay. Um,
3: <laughs> was it Miles? I'm, I'm turning it on no, right now. No,
2: no, it was from the runner play. To say,
3: we're going over our allotted time
2: here. Yeah, right? it was Shaq Moore. Shaq Moore on the backside.
3: Hey, Springs in the house. That's yep, yep. good. I, I love that.
2: Yeah. If you got any questions, fire them off quickly because we are going to finish up right now um, or very quickly. Um, Toronto checks off the one side of it for me in terms of being a veteran who can come in. He's been around the block. He can walk into a, a team and, I think, understand what's good, what's bad, make his changes. The flip side was maybe looking for somebody who's young and not too far removed from being a player, a very player-friendly manager. Would Lampard or Pirlo be that? Would they be interested? I don't know. Dome Toronto checks a whole lot of boxes if he wants to come back and work in MLS.
3: Uh, CK brings up a good point that you're actually in a spot in the calendar right now, where if you wanted to look globally actually might be a little bit easier it's because not. a lot of
2: you don't think no, because everybody's been hired. Like that's the re it's not a good thing because teams are in preseason. So like the managerial carousel, and it was a pretty big carousel spent in there for a while. It's pretty much filled up. Like all the clubs have made their hires. Um, they're, there are a couple people, as always happens in this scenario, who don't get a seat in the musical chairs game. Um, Antonio Conte is probably the biggest name who didn't. He won Serie A last year. Football-wise, doesn't fit the profile here, and I don't think he would be interested in, in the job, frankly. Um, Zinedine Zidane, I don't think he wants to do anything outside of managing the French national team at that point, point. and we're going like super big names right now. Um, Quique Setien, Ernesto Valverde, two former Barcelona managers, from a soccer perspective, yes, they can fit it. No involvement with MLS at any point in their careers. That's a tough one in midstream to hit. Um, you can look to South America, and I think the idea that I've seen thrown around that now you can't go hire a South American manager is foolish. Um, you have to look at the best manager no matter where they're from and how they fit and, and make the decision. It's not about ruling off a certain country because one didn't work. That. That just doesn't really make much sense from a business perspective. There are some managers down there who are not available at the moment who would absolutely fit the style of play. Uh, one to keep an eye on, in my opinion, would be uh, Hernan Crespo, who is at Sao Paulo in Brazil, who won the Copa Sudamericana with defense at Justicia, who stylistically would walk in and be able to make the tweaks and, and fit. He's very attack-minded, very open. He, he, revitalized the career of Brian Romero, who went from Defensa, um, came, in, came in as a winger, turned into a number nine, got a move to River Plate because he scored over 20 goals in the last year at Defensa. So he could be one to keep an eye on because there's some rumblings at Sao Paulo because if they have anybody who's there for more than three months, there's rumblings. And Crespo's name has come up a little bit in that regard.
3: Joe Laszlo says, uh, somewhere Jim Curtin is smoking a cigar. Hey, look, I mean, we've talked, about, we've talked about the cultural stuff, that might not be an inaccurate comment. Um, <laughs> you know, look. At, I, I'm serious. Look at the way Heinze behaved after a loss, by the way, towards Jim Curtin. Um, just saying. Yeah. Uh, a couple <laughs> people are wondering about Rob Valentino. Mm-hmm. Uh, one question, is he going to change anything stylistically? And two, does he have a chance at getting the job full time? I, I would just say this. I, I think the biggest change that Valentino will come in and make immediately is you're not going to have two-a-days in the middle of summer. Yes. <laughs> and that... While the intent the uh, trainings will be intense. I don't think they're going to be uh, Thunderdome either. Uh, So he'll probably have a better feel for the level. I
2: still, I, I, I I really push back on, on that even being a narrative. I I really do. Um, Intense training sessions are a good thing. Running two a days in, in June when the season started in April is a bad thing, but Intense training sessions, I'm good with. Now, every day, and and we don't know if that was the case. That hasn't been reported. I don't know if that was. Every day, no, that's not a good idea. But, yeah, you got to have intensity in your training sessions. I I have no problem with that element of it. And that's why I pushed back on it. Um, Two a day is different conversation, for sure. Valentino, he's never managed at the first team level. Um, So everybody's going to be guessing as to what it looks like. He has been an assistant with Orlando city B in 2016 and 17 an assistant with Atlanta United two in 2018 and an assistant here in Atlanta um, in a variety of roles in 2019 and 20. He was a defender as a player Um, doesn't mean he'll be a defensive manager and that's not what Atlanta United has ever wanted. So I don't think that's going to be his, his remit here. I don't think he's going to dramatically change things. But could they be more conservative in how they defend? Yes, and I think that would probably be the move that he would make first. Um, that would seem to fit some of the things we've seen. It seemed to fit some of the situations we're dealing with right now, with a lot of players out. Be a little more conservative, not the man-to-man everywhere. And and you, if you want to look at a difference and Valentino has probably had his hands in the way things have gone with the twos over the last few years as well, look at the way the twos play in a very aggressive, defensive way versus the first team. And this was something Tony Annan said to us on soccer down here this year, and I think it was really important. You know, when, when you look at the differences between how teams play, you want them to play roughly in the same way, with the same philosophy, academy all the way through the first team. Because that way players can move up and it's comfortable. But you can't always play exactly the same way because managers are different and each group of players has a different personality. Tony Annan said with his twos, and Jack Collison hasn't changed this, when he was managing the twos, he didn't do man-to-man all over the field because he had never coached in it. He wouldn't know how to really coach that. That's not his, his style. That didn't mean they weren't aggressive. That didn't mean they didn't press. Jack Collison's twos are very aggressive very high energy, very high pressure, but it's not man-to-man all over the field. I could absolutely see that tweak, and it's a simple one, and I could see that really giving a boost to this group and maybe dialing back the pressure a little bit at times when you're dealing with match compression like we're about to see. And and
3: uh, just an additional point, Jack Collison's going to be involved in training with the first yeah. team during the week, but he's still going to coach the second team Matt Laurie, who is the Academy director, is going to be on Valentino's technical staff. Liam Curran will remain on as goalkeepers coach. There were two or three other names, um, uh, people who are already with the club. sport science,
2: physios, that kind of role.
3: Right. uh, Who will help Valentino in the interim. The rest of the Heinze, like all the Heinze people, the people he brought with him, they're all gone as well. Which is typical. Uh, yeah, and that's typical. Yeah. That's absolutely typical. Uh, all right, real quick, uh, just a couple more comments, and then we're going to get this done because they're in the ninth minute in Kansas <laughs> City, and the USA is hunting and pecking for a second here, and Walker Zimmerman is so good, by the way. <laughs> uh, Tato Martino's not going to be the next coach of Atlanta United. Let's just stop with that right now. He's <laughs> not leaving Mexico one. in the middle of a qualifying cycle. That's not going to happen. Uh, to the commenter who said Atlanta United becoming a graveyard for coaches, I'll, I'll just point out that Tata Martino left Atlanta United, got a better job, mm-hmm. or at least it, it, I'd say a better job. A national team job's a better job. Tata
2: Martino's contract ended. He opted not to renew it, and he got a very good job. A different job, but a very, very different good job. job. A very well-paid job, by the way.
3: <laughs> same with Frank DeBoer. He left. The yeah. parting of ways got a very good job. Stephen Glass, who was the interim head coach, parlayed that into Mm -hmm. a very, very good job in Scotland with Aberdeen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, no, Atlanta United is not a graveyard for coaches. They got this hire wrong, and they may not have gotten it wrong from a football standpoint, but they certainly got it wrong from a um, a non-football culture fit standpoint. Yep. That does not mean that Atlanta United is a graveyard for coaches. And by the way, it also does not mean that Gabriel Heinze is done as a manager.
2: No. At all. Oh, no.
3: I expect no. I expect he'll be managing somewhere else, and I expect he'll have a lot of success. He just was not the correct fit for Atlanta United. And again, if you're just joining us, I think the one thing that we got loud and clear out of this press conference today is, You can do all your due diligence. You can talk to people who know the manager, who've played for the manager, who've interacted with the manager. But until you actually get them in your building, you don't know the full story. Mm -hmm. And I think it became very, very clear pretty quickly once Heinze got into the building that this was not going to work from a standpoint of fit. And that's where we've gotten to the point that we are right now. Do you have any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, um, on Heinze, I think he'll probably go back to Argentina. He'll get a pretty good job, I would assume. Um, I think the question will be a club like River Plate, who Marcelo Gajardo's time there is almost up. He's out of contract at the end of this calendar year, and most expect him to move on. Would he move to a club of that size? Yeah. I think more importantly, and it's the same thing I said when he was hired here, he needs patience. You, know, or he, you need to be patient with him. Um, and that was something that Darren Eels stressed. Uh, you know, Things at, at Velez took a little bit of time to build, and then they built very well, and he got a sixth place, and he got a third place in the first division in Argentina with a club that doesn't always finish in those spots. So wherever he goes, going to have to give him time. Here, I think the reason why he didn't get time wasn't related to the soccer, and, and that's the important element about it. If that was the case, if it was solely that, I think he would still be in charge. I think it's the rest of it that was the problem. And when you don't get overwhelmingly strong results, the rest of the stuff takes on more meaning. And that's yes. where you're at right now. And now Atlanta United is in a in an interesting spot because of the timing. They're in an interesting spot because of the situation. Because... This is a team with talent. This is a team that has said they're going to go out into the market and add another starting-level player in this transfer window that was repeated multiple times in the media availability by Carlos Bocanegra. It's a very attractive job, and there are some very big names out there that we, we talked about. There are also some names out there that are maybe not big names that fit the profile of what can work here, and especially what can work in this situation, because this hire is different than it was last summer. This hire is different than it was at the end of 2018. This is a midstream hire. You're not going to give this to Rob Valentino for the rest of the, the season. And, and back to one thing we didn't really answer. If Rob Valentino comes in and, and wins five in a row, and they're talking about other coaches, and they're not finding what they want, maybe he gets more time. And when you get more time, you can absolutely earn the job. Yeah. I don't think that's the plan by any stretch. But things happen. Things change. I don't think Nate McMillan was expected to be, you know, no, <laughs> lock down everything and give him the job immediately. I don't know what that expectation was. Worked out pretty good for Nate. So we see what Rob can do. But this team's going to be looking for somebody who's not going to come in and need a bunch of time. You're going to hire somebody who I think can come in and get you into shape for the playoffs and be a contender for MLS Cup. I think that's the intention. And that's a different profile. That's a different profile than they've hired with before. So it's going to be a different process, in my opinion. Well,
3: a uh, couple things. A, I hope I didn't jinx Walker Zimmerman. <laughs>
2: you did. Uh, yeah, poor guy. He landed yeah, on the ball. Made... That was oof.
3: Well, he landed on the ball with the tough part of the body. Too, yeah, it there's like. that. But, it, but it, it looked like a knee injury. Hopefully he's okay. Uh, Richie Larea, who also got hurt, is back on. So hopefully it didn't jinx Walker Zimmerman. Uh, just again, for all the people who are asking us, talk about Bocanegra, talk about the front office. Please go back and watch. We, we've gotten into that. But I'll, I'll just say again uh, that they're, Darren and Carlos are under pressure now on this next hire to get it right because yeah. they got this one wrong. Uh, I do not believe they deserve quite as much blame as they're getting for the roster.
2: No, uh, I don't either.
3: It's, I don't think the roster is as bad as a lot of people believe it is. I don't either. Uh we might get more proof with a different coach now, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we might get more proof one way or the other uh, with a different voice. It's very obvious that this playing group, outside of the the very, very young players, were not responding well to the coach. But Jason and I did get into that, if you want to sit back and, and watch or listen. Um, we are going to try to get this audio posted. Uh, Jason Knox has texted us. He, he's looking for the audio. I don't know if you he can help him with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're going to try to get the audio posted to Off the Woodwork. This will be available for replay on Facebook. Um, Our plans are to do a stoppage time Wednesday in Cincinnati. We're traveling Tuesday. We'll be in Cincinnati Wednesday. Uh, So we'll try to do a stoppage time Wednesday 2 p.m. Might not be a full hour, but we'll do as much as we can. If you missed any part of the press conference, I don't know if there was any live coverage of it. I tried to live tweet the key points at my Conti 929. If you want to go back and look at that. Uh, Jason will have coverage with John Nelson in the morning on soccer down here. I strongly, strongly encourage you to check that live podcast out tomorrow. Uh, if you want to hear Jason and I's reaction to the new England match that is available at off the woodwork, uh, just the additional news again, Rob Valentino will be the interim head coach support him. The players are going to like him. I promise you that he's going to command a lot of respect. I hope he's supported. Uh, and, um, Joseph Martinez will be available for selection Wednesday at Cincinnati. Darren Eels did say that. So that's where we're going to end this. Thank you very much for tuning in for your questions and comments. This will remain on Facebook and, uh, we'll try to get the audio at off the woodwork as soon as we can. And we will see you from Cincinnati on Wednesday. It has been a crazy 96 hours. So I'm going to go ahead and sous vide some steak now.
2: (laughs) We'll see y'all soon.